what's most important is that we can live the lifestyle that we want and that we're happy, that it's not about having this massive business with 5,000 stores, it's about being happy with what we have at the moment and to do our best with that. That's Stephen Flynn. Or is it David Flynn? Does it really matter if they're inseparable, identical twins that call themselves the happy pair? What does matter is that this is the Retroll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey people, what's going on? How are you? What is happening? What is the good word? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. This is my podcast. Welcome. Got a great show for you guys today. Today marks the return of Stephen and David Flynn, the identical twins that identify as the happy pair. Why? Because these two guys are indeed happy, very happy, and they are also a pair, an inseparable one at that. Uh, Longtime listeners know these lads well. They first appeared on the show back in June of 2016. That was episode 233. And then again in November of 2017, where I shared the audio from a live event that Julie and I did with them in Dublin, and that's episode 331. So check those out if you haven't already. For those unfamiliar, David and Stephen are essentially the face and the voice, and I use the singular pronoun intentionally, of the healthy food movement in Ireland. And that's a movement that's rapidly growing beyond the shores of the Emerald Isle. And their journey began with a small family-owned veg shop and natural food cafe in their small hometown of Greystones, which is about, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes outside of Dublin, and now includes a large line of organic, locally harvested, plant-based food products available across the UK. Uh, they are a prominent presence on social media, on Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, where they share their enthusiasm for living a fit, healthy, active, and engaged life. And they are also the authors of several cookbooks, the latest of which is called The Happy Pair, Recipes for Happiness. The lads were kind enough to drop in on our retreat in Italy a few months back to hang out with us, to share their love and wisdom, to teach some plant-based cooking and do some handstands, of course, as well as sit down with me for a chat that we recorded live before our group of retreaters. That's coming up in a couple few, but first... We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, 
by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection 
worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. Okay, the happy pair. You know I love these guys. I love their outlook on life, their passion for fitness and healthy tasting food, their commitment to community, to inspiring and empowering others, and to this food revolution we're currently seeing grow more mainstream every day. Uh, And I'm delighted to be able to offer you guys another conversation with them. For their full backstory, once again, I suggest going back and listening to our first episode. That's episode 233. As this one picks up where our second podcast leaves off, getting a little bit more granular on their mission and how we can all move towards healthier eating and living. And I should say as a final note, that a couple weeks ago, I was in Dublin and I did another live event with the boys at Smock Alley. It was amazing, super great and awesome. And I'm going to be sharing that audio uh, in the next, I don't know, six weeks or so. So keep an eye out for that if you enjoy this one. All right. So here we go. Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast. Yeah! <laughs> That's Stephen and David Flynn. And, and this, this is can we say ritual. it together? Yeah, go ahead. And this is the Rich, Rich Roll, Roll Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of had it on a slightly a sexy, bit. like. No. You can, can take you just say it again? Can you just say it one more time? That's Stephen and David Flynn. And this is the Rich Roll Podcast. <laughs> All right, good. Very good. You could take it over. Um, super good to have you guys here today, Stephen and David Flynn, the happy pair. Um, the first time that we did a podcast together was almost exactly two years ago, and we've seen each other a couple times since, but we are here in Italy. You were kind enough to visit us during our Plant Power Italia retreat, and I could not let you guys leave without holding you hostage to do another podcast. So my first question is, I have a couple questions. My first question is, are you going to be okay sitting down for an hour and a half? (laughs) If it makes you uncomfortable, you can get up and do handstands or something like that. Maybe Um, we'll take breaks. Yeah, you guys can uh, exchange uh, the mic and take turns doing calisthenics, I suppose. Um, (laughs) But I thought it would be great to not only uh, do this podcast uh, in the round, in the midst of all of our retreaters here, um, but to kind of do a hybrid podcast slash Q&A. So we can talk for a little while, and then I'll ask you a bunch of questions, and then we'll open it up, and all of you guys can ask questions that uh, perhaps we couldn't get to earlier during the cooking demo. How does that sound? Cool? Awesome. So uh, for those that are, uh, for the benefit of new listeners of the podcast, or for people who, for whatever reason that eludes me, did not listen to our first uh, podcast conversation, I think it would be beneficial to kind of give the thumbnail uh, background story behind how you guys got from there to here. Okay, great. I'd love to. Uh, so we grew up in Greystones, County Wicklow in Ireland. Uh, Dave reckons it's quite like the Shire. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, there's mountains on one side, there's sea on the other side, and it's a small little village where everyone knows everyone. Um, we grew up in a kind of middle, lovely middle-class family. There were four boys, uh, God bless my mother. Um, and we went to an all-boys school. We, we kind of ate typical meat and two veg. We had a lot of energy, so mom pretty much just any sport, she'd get us out, get out there and play that, get out there and play that, just to kind of burn off energy so she could manage us. 
Um, and we went to an all-boys school and loved, kind of when we went to school, happiness was kind of getting drunk and chasing women. And if you caught any woman, you know, you got respect from the lads. So that was, you know, that was good. Just for a visual, though, I want anybody who's listening right now, you guys are literally almost sitting in each other's lap right now. <laughs> like, are you, are you accusing like, us of spooning? <laughs> Steven's got his spooning. arm around David. I'm like, what is going on here? All right. Well, we're just getting... Go close. ahead. You know, we, we were once womb mates. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's kind of cheesy. Um, but, I'll, yeah, so I guess we, we grew up eating meat and two veg, and it was sport, and it was, you know, we were totally bought into the American dream. And I guess we studied business, and it was really very money-focused. And uh, our, as Stephen said, our, our definition of happiness back then was all money-focused. It was all about, you know, trying to meet a pretty girl, and it was getting drunk, like that was happiness to us. And then age 21, we kind of got fed up with this. So we went on a, we split up as identical twins. We split up and went our separate way, which was a huge deal, because we lived in one of those pockets our whole life. You kind of, being an identical twin, you have this support system around you. It's like a little force field. Yeah, so, I don't know so if I've separate. ever spent any time with either of you when the other one wasn't within 10 or 15 feet of you. Yeah, yeah probably true, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, back when we were 21, we, uh, mom kind of forced us and strongly encouraged us to go in our own separate way. So we went off um, to see what else life had an offer beyond our own social conditioning, beyond kind of money being God and beautiful women and all these kind of allures that society had kind of, we, we had just taken, he totally bought into. So uh, I went off and tried to be a golf pro in South Africa at the time as a 21 year old and uh, I really found that that wasn't fulfilling in any sense. I thought there was much more I could give to life. And uh, Steve ended up going to, to Canada. He ended up going, Can I you want to tell your story? Yeah. Uh, I went to Vancouver. Uh, we were born in Canada. Up Canada, up Calgary. Yay! Uh, we were born in Calgary, Canada, uh, so we had a Canadian passport. And I remember when we were traveling around Europe the summer previous, we met a couple of guys that were able to go out and socialize and not get drunk. And as an Irish male, that's like an exceptional skill. You don't meet that in many people. So I wanted to go off and just see what was beneath the surface of these guys. So I went and stayed with Mark Shatford for maybe a week, and I kind of I got a good idea there. And then I found my way up to Whistler, which was a cool ski resort. And I remember when I was younger, seen a movie and it was all parties and pretty women. I thought, that's a good place to start. Uh, so I arrived in Whistler with very little money, but I met a guy from Greystones called Connor, and he said I could sleep in his floor in his apartment. And I was in his apartment and there was this, there was kind of, he had a couple of roommates, this guy Scott and this guy Adrian from Australia. He was a cool surfer dude. I was 21, young and impressionable, and um, he was cooking dinner. He was cooking dinner with sweet potato, coconut, and lentils. And coming from Little Ireland, I didn't know what the hell a lentil was. I did sweet potato, like it's, I know what a spud is, but I know what that is, what sweet potato, that sounds posh. And a coconut milk, I was, you know, baffled. Uh, but I tasted the soup and I was like, wow, that's gorgeous. Jeez, those lentil things are fabulous. Um, and, we, and we got talking further and he, he told me he was a vegetarian. And I'd never met a man that was a vegetarian. I didn't know men could actually be vegetarians. Uh, so it was totally, it was like, wow, this is cool. And then we got talking more and he really thought about his food and where it came from. And I'd never really considered food. Food was just fuel. So this was a whole new horizon. So I kind of decided, I asked him, could I eat what he did for the week? So we were eating, you know, hippie food. Well, at the time, what I was calling hippie food. So we were eating like millet and quinoa and brown rice and, you know, black beans and lots of different curries. I'd never really eaten a curry. Um, and at the end of the week, I called Dave up. This is 2001, was it? Yeah, something like that. Uh, so it wasn't really social media and internet, or email hadn't really kicked off. And we're highly competitive, so I wanted to call Dave up and just like, Dave, I definitely have, have one up on you. I'm a vegetarian, yes! 
And I said, uh, Steve, that's really nice, but uh, actually I'm more evolved than you now. Uh, I've been a vegetarian for two weeks now, Steve. <laughs> well, well, it was like two days or something, but uh, we had kind of like... Is that true, or were you just like trying to one-up him? Of course I was trying to one-up him. No, no, I... No. But well, we're always you actually had already been eating vegetarian yeah, also, kinda, like, just I guess, coincidentally? I guess it was the first time I'd been away by myself, so I, I didn't feel like buying meat. It, 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 something had shifted inside me, and I wanted to try something different. And I suppose the seeds had probably planted before we left. Mm -hmm. And then I guess both of us kind of were talking on the phone and then within a week or two I was a vegan I became a vegan so then he decided okay well if you're a vegan I'm going to be a righteous vegan so he became like an arrogant kind of up on his high horse righteous vegan and then uh, I got into raw food and fasting and cleansing and then kept meeting like uh, we were both kind of traveling really trying all sorts of different things so like you were tree planting in Northern Canada where he got a helicopter to work. He was with a whole bunch of Christians. It was 50 Christians and then there was me. Uh, but it was great, really, really uh -huh. wonderful. Great people, made a great time. Then I remember I was at Burning Man and I remember I hitched up with this girl that had hitched around America. And um, I remember I was, I was leaving there and I said, I'm either gonna go, I'd heard about some island in the Caribbean called Hedonism or else I was going to a meditation center. <laughs> One or the other. And I said, yeah. I'll, I'll just wait and see what, what rings at the bell first and it was the meditation center, so right. I went down that route. And at this time, how long was the hair and how was the body odor? Uh, <laughs> well, well, I guess, yeah, Stephen, uh, we, we left where we were doing male modeling. We were playing semi-pro. We were like short back and sides hair. Semi-pro rugby. Semi-pro rugby. And we were, you know, we were very into image or whatever. And by this stage, we were stinking hippies. We had trinkets, we had rings, we had painted fingernails. And we had a very strong offensive body odor. Because as Stephen says, soap is bad, man. Yeah. And, and this was the thing, this is 2001. And uh, then all of a sudden, Steve kind of one day calls me up and he says, uh, Dave, like, I've, I've got this idea. Like, I really want to, so much has changed within me. Like, I really want to try to bring this to more people. And he says, uh, I, I, like, I had this idea. Like, do you want to try and start some health food? Revolution. He he used the word revolution, and uh, and it got me kind of thinking of Shake of and like you know really exciting kind of stuff. And then he says, uh, "Do you want to start a vegetable shop?" And this was the furthest thing I thought from revolution. And he was like, "No, we're going to start from the grassroots. We're going to start ground up." And uh, lo and behold, here we were. We came back. We left, as we said, as we left with quite a bit of social status because we were playing rugby. We were like, you know, we were we were going places. We'd lots of potential. And then we came back as 24-year-olds and we took over a vegetable shop. Right. Yeah, we drove a, a red van. So it was like to mom and dad, they thought, oh, Jesus, the lads have totally lost their way. And uh, to most people within our, our village or our town where we grew up, and they, they really thought we were gone AWOL. They, you know, like as Stephen says, we, we, uh, they often, you'd hear people whisper, oh, I think they're selling drugs down the back. Right, right, Which right. we weren't, of course, but it was... It well, was... from the guys with the polo shirts and the collars popped and the high and tight and the rugby and the whole, and the business school and the whole yeah. thing to like the top knots and the veg shop and the van. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the idea of creating a movement, it was mm -hmm. always, right from the start, it was always about trying to add value. Like, Stephen always used the idea, he said, like, let's try to set up and use business as a vehicle for social change. Like, we really want to inspire people to eat more fruit and veg, to be better versions of themselves. And that was, that was the whole catalyst right from the start. So it was about, you know, when we tried to articulate, it was about health, happiness, and community. Mm -hmm. So we started 14 years ago with a little vegetable shop, and, and it's kind of really grown out from there. Right, so today you have, what, 170 employees. You've got how many restaurant cafes uh, now? Three, three cafes. Three, three cafes. cafes now, two shops, a farm. Uh, we've Pearville. 
you got, got Paravel, Paravel, and you've got how many products? We've about 30 products, 30 products. About stores, and they're starting in the UK next week, so we're super excited. In right, Montrose. so you've been over all over Ireland, but now you're expanding across the entire UK, like yeah, that's the next yeah. phase of your world domination plan. Right. And how many cookbooks? At three, and it was funny when, when that one came out, because I remember, well, like, well, the first one, the yellow one, uh, like we'd sat down with Penguin, who are a publisher, uh, but preverts that people used to regularly come up and they'd taste dinner and they'd go, geez, that was lovely, do you have a recipe? And you'd go, uh, yeah, yeah, um, I have a recipe for 200 people. And they go, oh, okay. Uh, and after you'd heard people maybe 100, 200, 300 times saying, I have a great idea for you, why don't you write a cookbook? And I was like, well, okay, Dave, we really must do this. And we were offered a contract from a publisher in the UK and for whatever reason it didn't feel right. And then we sat down with Penguin and with, we sat down with Michael and Patricia from Penguin Ireland and it was kind of like sitting down with Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton. Mm -hmm. And you, you know those friends that you always mm -hmm. wish you had, that, like you, that are really articulate and very clever and have read all the right books. It was like, I really want to have friends like this, Dave. Uh, so we signed up and we said we'd do a cookbook with Penguin. And they said pretty much every book they publish is a bestseller. Um, and a typical chef who's on TV sells around 2,000 coffees. And at the time, we weren't on TV at all. And not only was it, it wasn't even a normal cookbook, it was a vegetarian cookbook. Um, and the book came out, and I remember I was in Spain on holidays when it came out. And I remember calling Dave up so afraid I was missed. Dave, Dave, what's happening? What's happening? And Dave told me, you wouldn't believe me. Some fella drove for the last four hours, and he wants me to write my name on the book. <laughs> yeah. Totally amazed. Um, and um, the book came out, and within six weeks, the 6,000 copies had sold, and by Christmas, it came out in October, and by Christmas, it was the number one best-selling cookbook that year. Wow. Then the next year, Jamie Oliver and Nigella Lawson and lots of other better-known chefs brought out new cookbooks. We outsold them all two to one, and it was the best-selling cookbook mm. the second year running. So we were kind of amazed to see the appetite for kind of health and something that kind of stood for more. And now you just have the third cookbook that just came out a couple of weeks ago, right? It's yeah. number one in Yeah, number uh, one in Ireland, and it was number eight in the UK last That's week. That's so, so crazy. It's really cool. It's called Recipes for Happiness, and it's, I guess it's more, we have 100 vegan recipes, of course, and we have, uh, we really focused on simple ones. It was kind of, it was really based on, about, back two and a half years ago, Jamie Oliver, we started, he invited us to be part of his FoodTube network, so shooting videos with him. And we used to shoot two videos a week and upload them. So we've done that for the last two and a half years and put up 400 recipes. So through that kind of process, we've learned so much about what people like, what the audience wants, what, what works, what doesn't. And through that process, we've had to make it super engaging. So we learned how to cook stuff really quickly and really practical with less ingredients. So this book is the kind of distillation of that. And uh, I guess we built on that and we focused on something that's so important to us. Like we started our business and called it The Happy Pair. And happiness is something that's so, when I think of my own daughters, all I want is for them to be happy. So we kind of started a dialogue in this book, there's a whole section on it, on what makes, what's kind of happiness for us, or what kind of gives meaning to our lives, and we, mm -hmm. we have a whole section on that, a lifestyle piece. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're going to get into that in yeah, a few which, minutes. Which I love, yeah. But before we, before we do that, I mean, you know, when I first met you guys, I was like, oh, these, these, these brothers, and they have this cafe, and it's in this little town, and people seem to be talking about it, but I didn't really know that much, and we went out and we visited you, and I got a glimpse of what's actually happening, and that was two years ago, and to see kind of where you were then, to where you are now. I mean, you're the same guys. So a lot is the same, but also a lot has changed. And in sort of reflecting on, you know, the roots of this, the, the core idea, which was to incite a health revolution, right? To really be social activists for positive change. And, you know, when I look at the work that you've done and the legacy of that already, like you're making that happen, right? So I guess I'm curious about how you 
make sure that you maintain that core value system or value proposition as you continue to grow and scale this from just two guys in a vet shop into like this larger enterprise that's selling products and you know the social media and all the stuff that gets built into that. So how do you maintain that kind of like core integrity? Um, I think it's a challenge. It's a work in progress. We're not perfect like anyone, and we kind of do our best to navigate it. And I think fundamentally what we really focus on is that each of us manage to feel happy and kind of centered as much as we can. Because as you know, a growing business and we've young kids, there's a lot of demands. And then, you know, we're kind of getting known more. So you're no longer Stephen and David, it's Mr. Happy Pear Man and this type of thing. So it's, I guess it's quite a challenge, but one thing we always try to focus on is that we feel centered and happy ourselves. Because if we feel happy, it's a lot easier for the business. If we're meant to be the heart of the business and represent the soul of the business, it's fundamental that we walk our talk. Oh, thank you. We hold it together. No, no, I wanted to say something. <laughs> They're fighting over the I, mic. I was, or... was going to say, just to break it down into kind of like practicalities, like one thing which we always do is like we're early risers, as, as you know. So we, uh, we typically get up at 5 a.m. and we swim in the sea at sunrise. And I guess some people are into meditation and others are into mindfulness. And for us, this has become a practice which kind of is a marriage of both, really. We kind of, we meet a bunch of people and we swim in the sea at sunrise and it's the cold Irish sea. So it's... In that sense, it really brings you back to the present moment, swimming in this cold sea every morning. And, yeah, uh, for those and that are listening, community. this is not just during the summer. This is like yeah. 12 months out of the year, except when you had that huge storm and it was like against the law to go into the sea <laughs> and you guys got into a little bit of trouble. But I, I, I've made this joke with you guys before, but I'll, I'll go on Instagram stories just to make sure that you jumped into the sea. So it's like, okay, all is right in the world. Like there they are, they're walking down to the sea and they're jumping in. It's like, okay, now I can like ha start my day now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so that's one thing we do. We, we always swim in the sea and then typically we'll train. We'll do some form of movement because for us as, as all humans, mam like movement is so central to our happiness. And we're certainly hardwired that way that we really need to move. It makes us feel good. It reminds us who we are and it releases loads of endorphins that make us feel good. So there are two kind of things which we really try to anchor our days with no matter what. And then one other thing regarding the business is we realized like we're identical twins and unfortunately we both have the exact same blind spots. Uh, so we realized like we're very good at kind of leading or being, you know, enthusiastic about what we do and we're very creative, but we're really bad at structure, order, control. Uh, so maybe it was about two years ago, was it? We borrowed a million and a half so that we could grow the business. Uh, and at that point, it was kind of like, I don't want to be responsible for that. And Dave said the exact same. So we asked our dad, who'd been kind of advising us and has a lot of experience running business, Dad, you run the company. Uh, so dad stepped in and we've kind of got a financial director and a few other people to focus on skill sets that we're brutal at. So it's kind of, I think what's really important is that we focus on what we're good at. And we still have kind of board meetings every week to kind of connect in that, you know, we're being as integral as we can. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see you guys spending a lot of time staring at a computer screen. No. It's not like not your thing. Like, no, it's, how do you grow a business when, when you know, you're, you're running around like doing like what you're doing with us, right? Like being ambassadors, being evangelists of this movement at the same time as trying to actually be responsible for an enterprise. Yeah. It's got to be difficult. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the same for you, I'm sure, trying to balance the navigate your way through when there's more demands on you and there's you know you've got to produce content and the, you know you want to be a role model and be the best person you can in each moment so i think it's it's relevant for everyone how we mm -hmm. how we walk our own talk and be authentic and yet try to be you know 
do be the best version of ourselves we can. So right. I think that's the underlying thing. And one of my top tips in that is to get a twin. It's really handy. It <laughs> just supports twin. you. Yeah, or or, like, or, or to find someone that supports you. You know, the way you, Julie, you know, we happen to be twins, so it's very fortunate. I have Julie, my Julie and I are not twins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, but, but then the upside of you and Julie is you both got different skill sets. Like yeah. where we, we both got the same skill set and same blind spots. So. Yeah, Julie, Julie's very aware of my blind spots. I'm just going to say that, you know. Um, but, but one of the things that's cool about, about, you know, having spent some time with you guys in your natural environment is that you've kind of set up your own blue zone. Like on this subject of happiness, it's like when you, when you drill down on the key principles of, of what makes somebody happy and you kind of look at the work of somebody like Dan Buettner and the blue zones, um, you, kind of, you guys can check all those boxes. I mean, you literally live like right next to where you work. It's a small community where everyone knows everybody very well. You're all about cultivating community. That's like a core central principle in, in what you do. And, and really like living that in a modern world is, it's, it's pretty cool and aspirational because as somebody who lives in Los Angeles, like I don't, you know, that's not, the way that like my daily life kind of unfolds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess we're really fortunate in that uh, we've always come from a small town in Ireland and we, I, I didn't really realize how strong the community was until we went away traveling. And to, I'll, I'll tell a quick little story in that. I remember like as when we were 21, we went off on a voyage of self-discovery as we like to call it. And I ended up in a rainbow gathering. It was an international rainbow gathering in Costa Rica. So I thought this was utopia squared. Like I went with, oh my God, this is gonna be like next level. How like we're gonna live as a society in 20 years. And I went with huge aspirations and hopes or whatever. And I remember going along and everyone called, there was no money. And it was like a whole lot of people kind of living half naked in the woods. And it was like pretty super hippie. Like for a 21 idealist, it was great. Um, but I remember everyone called one another brother and sister and it was all about community but to me it just felt so unauthentic or it felt so like it didn't feel congruent to me in any sense because I'd come from such a small little town where everyone literally knew everyone and people had their backs and there was a real sense of community so I think we're really fortunate in Greystones where we live that there's there's so much accountability and responsibility, which in one sense is kind of hard because everyone knows one another's business and there's a bit of that living in one another's pocket. But in the other sense, you really feel people support you and have your back, which I think is something nowadays in society is quite, like people are struggling with a sense of belonging and a sense of community and connectedness. And I really feel very fortunate that we've always had that. Yeah, I mean, I think it wouldn't, nobody would have been surprised if once your business kind of hit a certain level that you guys like moved to Dublin or moved to London to like, oh, we got to scale it. We got to go, we got to go big time now. But like you stay in your town and that's just like yeah, we did super good. important to the ethos of, of what you're doing. Yeah, last year, um, we got to sit with, Dave wrote his thesis on this guy, Charles Handy, who's written a load of business books and quite a business guru. Uh, and he's now 84 and his dad was a pastor, a vicar, a holy man. So he's from kind of good, you know, good integrity. Um, and we were asked to be part of a twin photography kind of project that this lovely lady called Liz Handy uh, from England asked, could we part of us? Like, okay, cool. And she came over to photograph us. And her assistant was Charles Handy, who was like one of Dave's idols, who'd kind of written, David written his thesis and read all his books. It was like, what, you're Charles Handy? Wow. And we got talking more and we kind of told him how our business was going. And he kind of said, wow, it seems like you're at a crossroad. Because when we borrowed that one and a half million, we'd plan on opening loads more shops and really kind of that type of thing. We went over to Cambridge to sit with him and, and it was to kind of address the question, what's enough? And like, what do you really want? And we kind of decided like, as we opened our third cafe last year, we were kind of 
asked to be there more often and then asked to be here more often and then just go be Mr. Happy Pearman over there. And I was kind of like, wow, Dave, this is hard. Like, I, I want to like, I just want to be able to get up in the morning, go swim in the sea, go train, go have brekkie with my family. And you have a clone. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> um, so we kind of we decided, like, I don't want to open more shops for a while. Like, what's most important is that we can live the lifestyle that we want to and that we're happy, that it's not about having this massive business with 5,000 stores. It's about being happy with what we have at the moment and to do our best with that. And, and what do you attribute, when you just, just take the cookbooks for example, like the fact that they're outselling like better known chefs or people that are selling, you know, sort of more mainstream dietary protocols, like what do you attribute the success to when it's like, these are vegan cookbooks, right? Yeah. And yet they're, they're connecting with people in a way that's kind of unprecedented in your part of the world. Yeah, uh, I think maybe Maybe because there's two of us and we're different and people go, oh, that's those two weird lads that wear shorts, those happy lads. I wonder what they're on about or something, you know. Uh, and I think certainly when we first wrote it, we wrote our story of kind of, I guess, uh, our story of our, our own journey, which was maybe relatable to people. But it certainly spread via word of mouth rather than because we were on the telly or whatnot. It happened slowly and burned slowly. So I think maybe, I don't really know, it's hard to say. Yeah. We were looking. Hey, what was the question again? I had, some, I had something ready there and then it went. No, I, I think it's down to the change as well. You know, everything has a time and a place. And I think right now there's a huge shift of interest in plant-based diet, more kind of aware about the impact of what we eat and how it affects the environment. You know, things like your podcast, things like Netflix, what the hell, cowspiracy are all kind of awakening people and the fact that there's such issues with ill health and disease due to the lifestyle factor. And I also think the fact that people are, like with the kind of demise of religion in a sense, that is, certainly in Ireland there's much less of a hold of religion, I think people are looking for other things to feel belonging or feel a sense of the meaning. With. And I think, as you call it, the movement, like I think that people are looking at healthy living and kind of positive life force and this kind of community and tribes which you can build around this and people are really identifying with this and finding a means of connection and a community and a sense of belonging, which I think is, like I think that that's definitely part of it. Yeah, well I think also you guys lead with enthusiasm, right? Like you're coming from a place of, of happiness, like we were talking about earlier, and just this infectious nature, like look how this is fun, we're having a good time, like this can be fun, living healthy can be fun, rather than proselytizing or, or talking about like how the environment is being destroyed and all of the sort of negative aspects of living in contraposition to the way that you're living, right? Like, so you're sort of being lighthouses as opposed to, uh, like, proselytizers, I guess. That's, yeah. a, that's a big word. You know, dark Great houses, word, Rich. Yeah. Good word. I love it. So, uh, yeah, I think, think that was one thing which You're we, conscious about your the way you communicate is what Definitely, saying, definitely. Right? And that only comes by making lots of mistakes. Like, I know certainly when we first started our business, we used to do healthy eating talks. And I remember we'd be a bit fundamentalist and we'd be quite righteous. And it wasn't until a friend, uh, a good friend, Damien, was sitting there one day and he says, lads, geez, you should really soften things up. Like you're really, you're just making people feel guilty. No one's gonna like change. People are, you're just making people feel guilty. So it was only through that process that he kind of gave that awareness to us that we realized, oh my God, people, no one likes being made feel guilty. No one likes, like I hate it when someone tells me what to do or tries to make me feel bad about something. So we, we consciously had to realize that, okay, you know, be an example rather than, as you say, try to, you know that expression, uh, you'll catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. Um, so I think it's more about trying to include and meet people where they're at as opposed to they must be a vegan as a total plant pusher. I think, and I think that would, that's always been our message right from the start. Like I remember 
you know, like community, the sense of community and the sense of like including people. We started our business 14 years ago when you'd never tell anyone it was vegan or vegetarian because certainly in a small town. You wanted customers. Exactly. Yeah. There's no way we'd still be in business today. So we always kind of said, oh, we just sell healthy food. And we'd be out in the street talking to people and being friendly and really encouraging people into it. And it wasn't until the last few years that you'd even mention that word vegan because it, it kind of immediately made people not feel at home. And, and what was quite funny is you'd see people come into the shop and they'd, uh, they'd come in and they'd have a hot chocolate or a coffee. And then you'd see them two days later and they might have a soup. And then you might see them a week later and they'd order the chicken curry, thinking it, like it would say chickpea, but they'd think it was chicken. And they'd eat that by mistake. And then they'd be coming for a month and they'd go, I never realized this was vegetarian. Jeez. Right. And then you knew it was going to have a positive impact. And then you'd see them six months later and they were doing yoga. Mm-hmm. So, right. so then you slowly realized that you were having, you know, there was like little impacts. You're brainwashing people. people. Well, yeah. I don't know. There was, no, there, there was no intention of that other than to try to share what we've, you know, what we uh-huh. found to be really positive in our lives. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton, birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health from fermented food, to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code RICHROLL25. 
We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Are there differences in where the movement is in Ireland or the UK versus kind of the State of the Union in the United States. Do you have a sense of that? Uh, well, I, th- I, I guess we don't really spend that much time in the States. No, but in yeah, Ireland, but and, you've traveled there. Yeah, yeah, we have indeed. I think in Ireland and UK, like, never have we really, in the last few years, like, every day pretty much you meet people under the age of 30 come on up, I really want to be a vegan, like, I'm really trying to be. So, like, there are people aspiring to be a vegan where never would you get that like that was never so like it's something it's like it's in fashion it's desirable it's like i want that status whereas i I think our our main message isn't like that you have to be a vegan or vegetarian we're all going to die i think it's about doing our best and like we used to be total fundamentalists like if granny cooked an apple pie you know there's a bit of butter and i go no granny i'm a vegan Uh, whereas now if granny cooked an apple pie with that thanks a million granny and i'd eat a little bit and it was gorgeous Mm -hmm. can i tell tell a story on this uh so, so i remember like where obviously i've been eating a vegan diet for 16 years or whatever and i remember it's not until you have kids that they really start to round you. And I remember we were walking up the street. I had uh, Izzy on my shoulders. Like and else. Okay, yeah, context. Oh, yeah, quick, quick. Uh, like, when my daughter May was born, she's now seven, I was adamant to my wife, Justine. It was like, no, she's going to be vegan. Like, this is really important to me. And you kind of quickly realize, you know, that expression, it takes a community to raise a child, and that I'm only one person, albeit very important. Back to your story. Oh, meanwhile, thanks, Steve. Uh, so, so anyway, here we were one Saturday morning. We were walking up to the middle of Greystones where we're like total ambassadors for vegetables and for eating a vegan diet or whatever. And, and I had two kids. I had my two daughters on me and Steve had three kids hanging out of them. So we were walking up with like kids hanging off us and uh, walking up the town and we we're walking by the butcher shop. It was Saturday morning, so he did his little pan out the front and he was frying off sausages for people to taste. And we'd all five of our kids ran up and got a sausage. And we walked up the stand as vegan ambassadors with our kids eating sausages. Mm. And it's amazing how you're kind of like, what do we do? 
Dave, what, what, what do I do? Do I let him? What do I pretend? Do I hide it? Like what? And then you just kind of go, fuck it. This is just the way it is. Let's just be with it and accept it. teach you better than anyone to just, like, life isn't perfect. There's no VIP lounge in heaven if you're going to be, you know, 100% vegan or not. And so how do you try to, you know, raise your kids with these ideas that are so important to you? Yeah, I think, uh, as Stephen said, it takes a community to raise mm -hmm. a kid. And, um, you know, when my kids are with their mom, they eat whatever she feeds them. And when they're with me, I, it's, they eat what I eat. You know, it's welcome to my So agenda. you're not making hard and fast rules? No, no. I think the most important, they've got a very healthy attitude to food. Like, they eat everything. They try everything. And they, they understand, you know, daddy's a vegan. Oh, daddy wouldn't eat this. Daddy wouldn't eat that. But for them, they've got to go to parties and eat their own things and eat their cocktail sausages mm -hmm. and do whatever. And obviously, it would 100% be my preference if they followed me and ate a vegan diet, but I've got to let them come to their own place at some stage. They love animals. At some stage, they might make a connection and decide to, mm -hmm. to not eat But that. they're drinking green smoothies all the time and they're, yeah, they, see all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're, you know, yeah my little media. lads, like Ned's one and a half and Theo's five, they think all men cook and it's really cool to chop courgettes and like, I need to cook with dad because that's what real men do. Uh -huh. So it's amazing just to see, like, because my wife doesn't like to cook, so I do all the cooking. So it's, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool. Different kind of role model. And what's, so how, how old is the oldest one for each of you? Uh, seven. We seven. pretty much like good old twins, like our kids are seven yeah. and five. <laughs> and you're kind of the dads to each other's kids anyway, right? Yeah, because identi we're identical twins, so we have the same DNA. <laughs> yeah, like, so technically, I have five kids and so does Dave. Right. But that's weird. Like, but but that sounds like weird. Know. So in reality, I, I have two kids and he has three kids and we don't have them together. <laughs> right. Separately. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a reality show. Yeah, yeah it, it is a bit know. of one. If you, you can open up a few, you know. <laughs> So what do you think are, are, when you go, you do a lot of traveling, you're, you're constantly doing these demos and you're in front of crowds of people all the time. What do you think are, are the main impediments that people face in terms of, of making that leap into healthy living and making it stick? I think the first one is the idea that it's going to be so hard. You know, it's such a big step. Whereas I think if you can break it down into baby steps and kind of go, okay, like, do you eat porridge for breakfast? Do you eat, you know, there's a high probability you don't eat rashers and sausages and whatever every day of the week. So I think bacon. Thank you for that question, Stephen. But uh, I think once you break it down into baby little steps and make it digestible, people think you suddenly you're part of some exclusive elite cult if I, if I stop eating meat or I'm going to become some skinny hippie vegan character that's like going to lose my way and I'm going to have to wear brown sandals and a cardigan and like, you know. Is that why you guys always wear tank tops? No, well, usually in Ireland it's cold six months of the year, so we've got to wrap up for six months of the year. I don't uh, know. You seem to wear them in the winter anyway. Yeah, if we can get away with it, of course, yeah. we love it. You know, yeah. But, but I, think, I think really it's like people have, the, most people have their own things, but I think it's usually around the, that, they, that they'll lose themselves or that, they, that it's, it's only for a certain type of person, whereas mm -hmm. I really think it's, everyone wants to fundamentally underneath it all, we want, all want to be happy. We all want to feel good. And I remember reading a study that Duke University had done where they, they were trying to isolate the most central thing to our happiness as humans. And, you know, if, from watching the telly or reading magazines, you'd think, oh, it's like loads of money. It's like having a beautiful wife or husband or like having no mortgage or whatever it might be. Whereas they found the most central thing to our happiness as humans is health, which sounds so boring, but like those expressions, your health is your wealth, didn't come for no reason. So, uh, like, I think... I don't know where he's going on now. Okay. Yeah. Good work. Good work. Don't worry. Yeah. Steven. <laughs> Rich. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, like you're, I think it's about doing your best and to try to eat more fiber because most people don't get enough fiber. Mm -hmm. Fiber is my, my little pet, my dear friend. 
And and what do you think? Oh, go ahead. But, but I was just going to say that it's it's not necessarily about vegan or vegetarian. It's all of us, as you always say, to become a better version of yourself. And if that means you eat meat currently 13 times a week, well, try to eat it 10 times a week. And like, try to eat a little more porridge. And like, if your body functions better, there's a probability you'll feel better. And therefore, you'll probably be a kinder, nicer human to other mm -hmm. people. So so it's making little steps rather than trying to trying to take that big leap into something which seems inaccessible. Right. If somebody comes up to you, and I, I imagine this probably happens from time to time, and they say, oh, I love you guys, but you know, I'm on the keto diet and it's working for me, or I'm on the paleo diet, like, and that's working for me, you know, t you know, sell me, like, why should I, you know, why should I follow the, the the way that you guys are going as opposed to what I'm doing? I'd say, keep doing what you're doing. You look happy at it. Good on you. I'd probably try to bust out a handstand, do a few backflips, yeah, see if we can attract them in that way. Like. <laughs> no, uh, no. Like I think, as Stephen said, he probably wouldn't. He'd go, "Oh, cool, good for you. Tell me a little about that." And kind of like, mm. you know, rather than try to go ahead, you know, I think going head to head against someone doesn't. No one's a winner. It turns into like a an argument, or as you'd say in Ireland, you'd say a pissing contest or whatever, where, where no one really wins. So I think it's, it's more about kind of accepting people where they're at. And, and as you say, try to be a lighthouse or try to be an example. You know, if you're an example and a role model, it's attractive and seem to be having a good time. People little by little will, you know, if it seems like the truth for them, they might mm -hmm. come on the journey too. Yeah, cool. Um, one more question, and then I want to open it up to everybody. Uh, if if there is a misconception about you guys or about this lifestyle that you espouse, um, you know what? What is it like? Do you come up against people who like they're just like they're not they're not they're I'm, they're not getting it? They're not understanding where I'm coming from. Like, what is the biggest misconception that you have to confront? Uh, I would probably say people sometimes see us as like happy, clappy kind of people, and they might think we're a bit simple and there's no substance behind it. So I think that's something which is, you know, I, I guess we, we're kind of light nature. There's two of us, we're fun, we're playful, we enjoy life. And sometimes people might go, oh, they're just too simple. Like they're simple creatures or whatever. But underneath it all, like we really, I think life can be so complicated for so many people and they can overcomplicate things and get, so, I need this, I need that, I need that, whatever, which is, I don't know. Like I think there's a simplicity, you know, mm -hmm. to have a simplicity aspect to life which can be really rewarding. Like I remember that lovely lady we met in England who was saying that um, they were kind of trying to measure one of the things that help happiness a lot, and she she used the term a low, a low what was it? Threshold. A low threshold for gratitude, as in you're you're happy with really simple things. Like it's like wow, look, I found a euro on the ground. Cool, wow, it's a sunny day. Look at that flower. As opposed to I need a million dollars to be happy. You know the way where if you're happy with really simple things, it's a lot easier to find joy in every day as opposed to needing something special. Like I'm happy because it's my birthday. As opposed to I'm happy because my that rain feels really nice. And do you think that 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 a person can cultivate that? Like, are you were you guys just always like this? Uh, I think we've or always been fortunate because there's two of us, and I guess you, Steve, often says he says uh, like people often spend their life looking for their other half, and you know that expression, oh my other half. But I guess we were born one person that split into two, so we've always had that other person to support us and. No matter what's going on, you always had someone telling you were great, you know, which was, which really helps, like, you, you know, like... You're so handsome. Well, like, you know, you always had someone in your back saying, oh, he's totally wrong, that person, you're brilliant, well done, Dave, or well done, Steve, you know, so, so it's always made life that much easier. So in a sense, we haven't, we've been really fortunate that we haven't, we haven't taken that much thing seriously, mm -hmm. like, it's always been about having a good time and trying to enjoy life. And I guess, to, to bring it back to the movement, 
I guess sometimes people might go, oh, they're just two loonies. We're, we're a bit inaccessible because we're smiling and having a good time and people might think we're like the, from the circus as opposed to, we really do feel passionate about what we're doing and it's so important for us to try to get people to eat more fruit and veg and to be happier and more evolved, content versions of ourselves, I think for the sake of this planet and society and everyone at large. Yeah, well, yeah, well said, and uh, I think we could all use, an, uh, you know, some of what you guys have, because for those that are listening and, and for everybody that's here today, I mean, you guys got an up-close and personal uh, experience of what these guys are like, and it's not just when, you know, the camera's on them or, you know, it's the Instagram story or whatever, like, this is how these guys are all the time, this is how they live, they are truly happy people. Their energy is infectious, and uh, I just want you guys to keep doing what you're doing because that idea of a social revolution, a health revolution that fueled this whole thing that you guys are doing way back when is bearing fruit now, and it's only going to continue to grow, and it's super exciting. And so God bless you guys. Thank you, Rich. Cool. Thank you, thank you. Um, so why don't we uh, open it up if people have questions to ask? Hi. Justin from Greystones. Justin. The first guy's going to ask a question actually lives in Greystones and knows these guys. All right. um, I'm really interested around you know, the, the movements and what you guys do. And if you, one of the things that we find concerning as people who are trying to find health and vitality in our lives is the lack of nutrition that we find in the medical profession. And if you go and see your family physician, it's not spoken about. I think the the happy heart course that you do, where you've got this online community who are changing their lives through following you guys through that medium. Do you think that's a place to bring people into healthy living, to bring them into vegan living? Is it like below the radar because you're bringing your cholesterol down and then you can build other stuff in on top of that? Uh, thanks a million for the question. Uh, so we've got a happy heart course for anyone who doesn't know and it's an online course, it's a four week course. And I guess we, we see it as an introduction to, for people, you know, people might want, want to be prepared to make a full change or a leap into eating a plant-based diet or whatnot, but it's a good place for people to dabble and put their foot in. You'll get a lot of people kind of will come to it from the point of view that, uh, you know, they have, they have heart issues or they have high blood pressure or something and vegan or vegetarian or plant-based wasn't at all and their wife or husband or partner is kind of dragged them into it. And through this process, after feeling better, having more energy, you know, they'll, they'll, you, you'll see, by the end, they'll go, I know it's over, but like, I'm going to keep doing this. So it's, it's amazing to kind of... Yeah, it's funny even like, uh, sorry, this is Steve here, the other twin. Um, it's funny, like say, we used to do classroom courses all the time before we kind of got too busy. And I remember one particular course we did in the Fumbly in town and this kind of real traditional country Irish guy came in and he, he was totally skeptical and, you know, arms closed, legs closed, going, I'm not into this crap, lads, at all. Uh, but I got really high cholesterol, so I'm going to try it. Uh, so we did it for kind of two or three weeks and he seemed to be like the first night he had his arms and legs crossed and the second night it was only his legs crossed or his arms crossed and then the third night his arms open. And then the fourth night he came up and he said, lads, like, I'm really into this. Like, this is amazing. Like, I'm, I'm really, this was in February we did the course. But like, there's one thing on my mind that's really bothering me. What do we do? for Christmas dinner. 
So it was, ama it was amazing just to see like how people can change and how it, it does function as a gateway. And I think the, the benefit of that is that it's experiential. It's not theoretical because you could read all the books that you want, but it's not until someone's feeding you porridge or eating vegetable soups or you're eating dal and kind of learning what a lentil is and how to use it. And through this process, you realize, oh my God, this is so much easier than I thought because, you know, the course naturally holds people's hands through this process. So I think any kind of four-week challenge or four-week introduction... Like, our Happy Hardcore is a good one. It's online and it's available for everyone all over the world. So if anyone's interested in it, check it out. Hi, uh, Tommy here. Um, you're such a happy pair. Do you have a story around your unhappiest pair moment? Uh, unhappiest pair moment. <coughs> good question. Um, <laughs> wow, okay, it's a curveball. Uh, can I come back to that one? Okay, I'll come back to that one. I can't even... Okay, okay, go for it. Okay, different question. So we're going to deflect that right, one and well, go for well, it. Well, yeah, okay. Obviously, there wasn't one. I, I, can, I can go with one little tiny one there, like recently, where I felt quite embarrassed and kind of a little ashamed. We, we, we swim in the sea every day, and um, there was storm warnings for Ireland. The Irish government recently got in the habit of uh, putting a red flag, a red flag warning as in, like, you shouldn't leave your house, don't go near the sea, it's going to be too dangerous, like kind of nanny state type thing. Um, and we being a little bit brazen, a little bit stupid, or not stupid, but a little bit kind of, I guess ignorant and uh, we went down to the sea because we swim every day and we've great respect for it uh, and it was totally calm we went swimming and I took a picture and put it up on social media and we were joking it was called Stormophilia and I remember getting in and kind of going yay thinking this was great and, and we got a really big backlash because I didn't we never really consider the consequence that we're role models and people look to us and might encourage other people to swim albeit it was calm where we swam so I felt really embarrassed and quite ashamed that I didn't think of that and I, that was a bit I felt a bit unhappy that day Right. <laughs> Sorry, one more if I may. Um, so being identical twins, um, have you ever happy pair alternate dated the same girl? Oh, great question. <laughs> uh, we've, we've never dated the same girl, but I remember when we were 15, uh, Stephen was going out with a girl, I won't say her name, and uh, I think he was meeting her down the end of the road, and uh, I was walking past just by absolute chance, and I went up to say hi to her. Wait, and you fancied her? Oh, of course I fancied her. She was very attractive. <laughs> and I went up and said hello to her, and she thought I was Stephen, so it was great. So I gave her a little kiss on the lips, and I took her hand. We were walking up the road up to the house, you know, where we're going to do some more kissing. And... Uh, and then Stephen showed up, but that, that was... <laughs> and I said, hey, Steve, and he said, uh, he kind of looked at me and he kind of got it straight away and was like, he would have done the same thing too. <laughs> so, so that was as close as we got to dating the same girl. Um, I wanted to ask uh, a question about um, school nutrition. Um, in the United States, the school nutrition is far from ideal. I was curious if you've had any involvement in school nutrition in Ireland. Yeah, brilliant. Do you want to uh, we tried getting a project going a number of times um, with the local schools to get a pilot project. We met the Minister for Health, who's kind of the head of the government, and sat down and talked with him about how we could get a program going, and he was all gung-ho. Um, and I remember sitting down with the principal of one of the local schools, and it, it was interesting. Her name was Sister Kathleen, and she'd been like kind of a, a, a nun, and she'd been principal of the school for about 40 years, and she was like a stern lady, uh, really gorgeous and warm at heart. And um, we were kind of just talking about nutrition, and I was talking about five and she was going, yeah, really interesting. In the last five or ten years, like normally there'd be no people going home with this, but she said in the last five to ten years, pretty much every week there'd be five 
people would go home sick due to the fact they've constipation, due to the fact they're not eating enough fibre. Um, so I guess that was a very, yeah. But to answer your question directly, uh, we go to schools all the time. We were in one a couple of weeks ago, and it's amazing once you're in the school and talking about, this is primary school, so kids under the age of 12, I remember there was, uh, the sixth class came in and they were all 11 and 12. And at the start, I remember saying, oh, what's your favorite fruit and veg? And I remember one little smart lad goes, chocolate. And then someone else says, sweets. And you're like, okay, cool. And then at the end of it, they were literally fighting over avocados. They were fighting over courgettes. And, you, and they were all trying to do handstands. So it was amazing to see the influence once they've got different role models and people espousing different things. So I know a big focus for us in September is to go talk in schools much more regularly, particularly, you know, secondary schools where people, where, you, where they're ripe and ready for a different message and I think they're ready for change, so. I don't know if I answered your question directly at all, but that was a punter. Ah, uh, Colin. Hey, guys. Oh, yeah. Hey. Ah, uh, John. Hey. Uh, John. <laughs> Listen, guys, so your, your energy is definitely contagious and in, in today's times when we're surrounded by negative news, um, Seeing people doing their work with such positivity and energy is, is really kind of refreshing. You are identical, but even spending a day and a half with you guys, there are some differences, and we start seeing them. But one question to each of you. Is there a personality trait in your, in your brother that you wish that chromosomes were on your side and not his? Is there something which you look up to your brother and vice versa, so it's all positive. One trait that you look at your brother and say, wow. I think we're very fortunate because we've always been a we, so whatever he has, I have. You know the way, and I don't mean that like, I mightn't have it, but we have it. You know the way together. There's so, something, but, but yeah. I was gonna say quite interesting, like we'll, we'll ha cause we, we spend so much time together. You know that expression that man and a dog, when they start hanging out so much, they start to look like one another. <laughs> and it's a bit, it's a bit like us people will say, uh, oh, I met one of you the other day. Which one's the more outgoing one? Uh, and it, it totally depends on the moment because we kind of duck in and out. One leads and one doesn't lead. But if I was to say something about Steve, like sometimes he's the older twin, so he naturally leads a little more than me. And he, he can be a really good leader, which sometimes I go, I really admire it. And I go, good man, like he's really, he's front and center. And he's like, I'd follow him into battle no matter what. <laughs> uh, I was getting a little emotional. Yeah, yeah, I can hear, I can hear. Thanks. Can we hold hands? <laughs> uh, I, I, I would say uh, Dave has wonderful ability to kind of just let things breeze over him. Like mom, no, I won't say that. But um, I remember just even with the business stuff, it doesn't bother him. He just lets it fly over his back and carries on with what he's doing. So I really admire that. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> we got a question over oh, here. Colin. Lord uh, of tea. Colin is the Lord of tea. <laughs> so so <clears throat> I'm going to start referring to myself as the Lord of tea. Um, so I've noticed that you guys ha are like power Instagram users. Uh, you might be the most prolific Instagram storyers in Europe, I don't know. Um, and you seem to start every day, aside from the swim, with uh, a mindfulness practice and also with some form of, form of compound or composite movement or calisthenics or yoga or stretching or something. Um, and I'm wondering if, you know, there seems to be this movement within the vegan community or in general uh, around... You know, with people like um, Derek Simnet or um, Tim Sheaf or Ido Portal or all these people teaching different forms of dynamic movement. And you mentioned uh, the importance of movement in, in happiness. 
And I'm wondering if you could say something about uh, the role of those two, a mindfulness practice and a movement practice as part of your uh, well-being. Yeah, brilliant. We, we do use social media a lot. We love it. I, I guess we've always felt we had a strong message to share, and that's why we feel very comfortable with social media. Uh, but in terms of movement, uh, okay, movement in terms of happiness. First of all, I, I know as I get older, I get, like, there's a propensity to be more stiff, stiffer. I meet some friends that we played rugby with, and wow, it's like, wow, geez, you can barely throw a, a ball anymore. Um, so something that we've found is, like, say I meet older people, typically they're more narrow-minded or close-minded, and they're generally physically stiffer. And I see my kids who can literally bend this way, that way. They're li literally made of rubber, and they're as open-minded as they can. So I don't know if there's any studies showing a direct correlation, but to me it makes a lot of sense. So as I get older, I try to become more supple, and as I become more supple, I find it helps my well-being, my mind, and I feel better. Uh, so we try to do, we, and we're always trying to mix up our movement, because we started out doing yoga for about 14 years, and t Dave was totally anti-yoga, because we came from rugby backgrounds. Um, do you want to tell that little story? Oh, no, it's okay. Okay, and, and totally anti-yoga. I remember I was traveling away, and people would always go, you want to do yoga? And it was like, nah, yoga's for pussies. Sorry, excuse me, I'm not going to say that word. <laughs> that, that would have been what, am I allowed to say that? Or is that bad, Rich? Yeah. Okay. Oh, can I tell that story? Can I tell the story? Uh, but okay, we're going on, and a slight tangent here. But I remember, so we grew up playing rugby, and I remember going away traveling, and I was 21. This is 2001, and I kept everywhere I went, someone was saying something about yoga, doing yoga, and I was like, "Go away, yoga! Yoga's not for men." And I was like, so anti-yoga. And I remember uh, then one really pretty girl asked me to do yoga, and I was like, "Sure, I love yoga, of course." <laughs> and, uh, and yoga then has been part of our life. Was part, has been part of our life since, but. Um, and I remember we got super into Ashtanga yoga, but it wasn't until the last kind of three years that we've moved away from that kind of rigorous, straight form kind of thing to where we mix it up all the time. Not consciously in any sense, but we really do move. We run sometimes, not that much, but we do a lot of calisthenics or animal movements or handstands. And flexibility is one of the main ones because as we get older, you know, we realize that we start stiffening up. And, uh, and even leading studies now are saying that it's not vigorous exercise for one hour a day. It's much more consistent movement throughout the day is much better for for our health and well-being, you know, and our longevity. Yeah, and I would say, to add to that, uh, if you do watch your Instagram stories, which are, you, I mean, it's like, you see the little notches at the top, right? And you're like, oh man, there's like 50 installments of this story, <laughs> like, you know. But one of the things that, that comes across loud and clear is that you're sort of, you're moving throughout the day. It's not like, okay, we did our workout, now we're done, now we're working. Like, you're working throughout the day, but there's always these breaks for movement, whether it's just a handstand here, or you're doing squat jumps, or whatever it is, like five minutes here, five minutes there, 10 minutes there, or just a walk. Like, hey, we have a meeting in an hour, and we're traveling, and we're here, but like, let's walk down to the sea for 10 minutes, and maybe sit for a meditation. Like, it is built into the fabric of how you're living your life, throughout the day, every day. And I think that that, what I, what I read into that, what I see into that is a mindfulness about that being a priority all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess we're super fortunate that we've always moved and mom always cultivated us like we're mom. You know, we always needed to move a huge amount. So I guess we've been hardwired that if we don't move, we don't feel as good. So we're really fortunate that we've had that kind of, it's in our nervous system that we need to move. And you've been sitting on this couch for a while. Are you doing all right sitting on the couch for this? Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of mindfulness, I know back 
back when we were traveling around, I got really into meditation and we used to meditate two, three hours a day and we were totally what like uh, Vipassana meditation. So it was kind of, you know, it was quite like 12 hours a day. You did a first course, which was a free course. I went to one in Texas and I hitchhiked my way there and I remember getting there and it was like, you had to do it, I think it was 10 day, yeah, 10 day course. We were meditating 12 hours a day and no talk. And, and to me it was like, what the hell? But, but I found it amazing and I, I no, I won't go into that, but uh, I found it really, really amazing and I found it incredible and I hit new levels of experience that I never thought I could experience and as a result, we got really into it. We used to go to the market at half four in the morning, the vegetable market, and me and him would get up at half two and meditate for two hours before going to the market, like total lunos. Uh, and then we might meditate again in the evening. And, uh, but then since having kids, you know, if I hit 15 minutes a day, it's a pretty good day. You know, I, I guess you realize what's, what you possibly can fit in. However, I find meditation, that, that expression that I've, if you've meditated, what is, what Mark, one of the lads, some man in history once said that uh, they, they normally pray for an hour a day, and if they have an extremely busy day, they pray for two hours. So I think there's a lot of, what was that? Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama, yeah, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Oh, great. Uh, this is Marty here. Thanks for your story. It's awesome. From the U.S. Uh, this is building on the movement. Um, and you described in one of your books your four simple steps on how to do a handstand. So uh, I'd love to hear how that came about. How many people have actually come back to you and said that it's awesome in terms of I've tried it, I've learned it, and maybe we'll get a demo. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I guess we started doing handstands. I don't know why or how. But um, we just got into them. I don't know, maybe our kids started doing them or something. Yeah, you, you were kind of into them. You kinda... I, I think maybe I was into them more. And um, it's just become something which we do now. And we've got super into trying to do one-hand ones and trying to do different moves. And I, I guess now our daughters are seven and they're, we're trying to stay ahead of them. So that's, that's really what we're trying to do, really, when it comes down to this stage. And... Um, but I find them a great way of waking up and inversion. The blood's coming to your head. You immediately suddenly feel awake. Um, I find it brilliant. Uh, here goes Dave just doing a handstand for any listening there. Um, so he's kind of going into Scorpio or doing other things or trying to do oppressive. Yeah. Way to go, Dave. <laughs> Steven. Handstand push-ups. Cool. Do we have any more questions? Yeah. Do we go? Uh, yeah, right I wanted here, to ask you about um, the perception that people have between meat and masculinity, because you're a couple of very manly Irish lads, and I imagine you may have had this flack from some of your friends at some point, and uh, we're raising two boys, and everyone in our community is very supportive at the moment, mostly, and uh, my worry is as they get older and go into secondary school, teenagers, and, and so on, that they're going to face that sense of you're not a real man if you don't eat meat. So, so uh, have you faced this sort of... Um, uh, question and and how do you deal with it? Yeah, I think it's such a it's a social preconception, you know, that men need meat and it's a very masculine kind of associated thing. But I think there's so many different role models nowadays that you can deflect them to. Like uh, when people ask me about it, I think your actions speak louder than any, anything. You know, like what is the role of a man nowadays? You know, it was typically in certainly in Irish society it was very. You know, my preconceptions of my father and men are, and then it's changed so much over over my generation. So I think what it is to be a man is to, I think that's changing so fundamentally as well. Like I think nowadays when I think of myself as a man and how I want to be, I, I want to be a kind, connected, gentle man rather than the typical macho role which was previously projected onto what a man should be. 
so so I think it's all changing. Like, and I think there's role models like like Rich, like with all his ultra ultra distance running. There's like Patrick Babomium, these world's heavyweight lifters. There's you know so many boxers and athletes that are just breaking the mold and really breaking down all these preconceptions that people have. So I like I think it's changing and shifting, and I think there's a different kind of acceptance now. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver an RRP favorite, and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Yeah, it's a super interesting time. I mean, somewhere along the line in history, you know, we conflated this idea of masculinity with with eating animal products. And I presume that that, you know, the antecedent of that is is hunting and and you know what it mean what it meant to be a man and how hunting and, and sort of bringing home the food for the tribe or the village was associated with virility. And that's it's really not how we live today, uh, but that myth has, perpe has perpetuated and it's so infected the very fabric of how we associate gender roles in our culture and it's become toxic, right? And I think what's happening right now culturally is super interesting with the Me Too movement, we're looking and with the, the sort of um, the mainstreaming of, of transgender culture and gay marriage and gay rights and everything that's kind of occurring right now. We have a lot of work that still remains to do, but there is a conversation happening now that wasn't happening even a couple of years ago. And I think it's forcing us to confront in a very real way um, uh, what gender really means fundamentally and how we kind of interpret gender roles so that we can be more functional, uh, you know, be a healthier society. And when we look at 
at diet preferences as a marker for gender identity, when you really break it down, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's kind of insane, right? Like what you eat should have no bearing on whether you're a good man or a bad woman or whatever, right? So this is a conversation we need to have and we're, we're having it and there are interesting um, documentaries that are coming. There's this movie, The Game Changers, is going to be coming out soon. I think that's going to really foist this conversation onto the mainstream awareness in a way that it hasn't yet. And so I think it's very interesting times. I was just going to say, basic down to you know the the hardware in which we have. You know, when you think of a man, you think of the foods that make a man a man, and you think of like, oh, it's red meat, yeah, it's meat, and it's bloody meat, and then it's alcohol, and it's cigarettes. I'm a man, but all those things make you less of a man. Like it makes your your tools work far less effectively. So I think, so I think like the most basic things that as a man you want to be virile, you want the blood to flow really well around your body, and you want things to lift up when you need them to lift up. So, like, the things that do this are not the foods that society projects on as masculine. They're like, you know, eating vegetables, getting your sleep, you know, things which are typically deemed as not masculine or not sexy. Those are the things that make your body function better as a man. So, yeah. thanks. Uh, hi, I have a question. Uh, you mentioned something this morning about a vegan mastery cookery course. Is that something that you're actually working on? And uh, yeah, we, we so we have this online Happy Heart course, and I know we were looking at doing more courses because people, like mine and Stephen's time is quite limited. We can't really influence that many people. So we've started doing an online vegan cookery course, which will hopefully roll out sometime later this year. You know, we've been shooting videos for it and writing content for it. And it's more based on, we've so many recipes online, but this is based on the actual skills behind it. So it's the, the tools and the techniques as opposed to how to cook a, you know, such and such. It's, it's quite a fun one because we're quite passionate as you, could, as you got from earlier, you know. Yeah. Thank you, Beatrice. Hello, it's Noelle from Colorado. Um, you guys obviously have been doing this movement for 14 years, and it sounds like you come from a very small town. So share some stories about how you've impacted your town, whether it be through food or through mindfulness, through movement. It'd be great to hear some good stories, success uh, I, stories. I know, I know one, one story comes straight to mind is that there's a local councillor, so he's on kind of the local government and quite a traditional man and, you know, kind of has a little bit of a belly and, you know, was never really into our, what we did at all and always was quite resentful and you just got the general body language of like feckin' hippies, you know, this type of thing. He exuded, I'm not going to say his name, uh, but we were, I was uh, going down to the sea one day and himself and his wife stopped me and said, I, I was watching your video on how to make turmeric milk and I was like, oh my, did you actually say that to me? You know, and I was just like, you are totally someone that would never be into anything we do and, and he was watching a video on YouTube about how to make turmeric milk. I was like, my God. God, something has shifted in society. Uh, but I was going to say, just to break it down to things of what we've done in our own little town, like right from we, when we started, we used to go to all the local schools at least once a year to do demos or talks or try to inspire the kids and try to create a kind of culture that, you know, fruit and veg is, is good and, you know... It's cool. Yeah, try to really try... You know, if Coca-Cola could be sexy, why can't carrots and broccoli and apples and things like this? You know, it was really to try to create a different positive association to things. Um, I know we've given away free porridge every day for probably 10 years, which is something which 
you know, it started out as just something we did for a week and it, it ended up, it didn't cost us a lot, but it really helped to build a community. It got to earn people's trust because certainly in a small town in Ireland 14 years ago, people were very suspicious of us. They thought we had some hidden agenda. And as Stephen said, they thought we were probably selling illegal substances out the back of the shop, which was very not, not the case. But, uh, you know, people are suspicious in a small town and it takes a while to earn, them, earn their trust and to realise that you're really, you have their best interest at heart. So... Uh, another thing that we regularly do is, or well, of recent years we've only done it annually, was we've baking competitions to celebrate simple things in life. Uh, if anyone can remember the great apple harvest of 2006, can you remember that? No, okay, there was a great crop of apples that year. Uh, and I remember kind of older ladies or, or men would be bringing in apples because they didn't want to see them rot in the ground. And they'd bring them in and then it was like, uh, we just started giving them away for free because it was like, there's way too many apples. Uh, and one day, Joan Orr brought in an apple pie and we ate it. It was like, oh, that's lovely. And the next day, another lady brought in the apple pie and was like, it's, it's very nice, but Joan Orr's was much better. And the lady got really offended. And we realized like there's a lot of competition about apple pies. So we thought, okay, let's have a, let's have an apple pie competition. So we did up a poster and we put it on lampposts because there was no social media at the time. And then we went to the, the biggest local kind of amplifier we could find. It was the church bulletin. So we put a little note, you know, apple pie baking competition, entries in by 1 p.m. And then we asked kind of local community, we got like Frank Doyle, who was one of, an ex-butcher to come and judge it. And um, Betty Lowe, who was my landlady, came, who she was an elder. She was in her 80s, who has eaten a lot of apple pies. And then we got some kids involved and put it out and maybe about 40 or 50 people came and we all celebrated the simple things in life. Apples are in season. But, but they didn't come. They all baked apple pies and everyone came down and we'd abandoned. We all ate apple pies and it's a really fun community, basic, simple things. But I guess it's true. And we've had chocolate ones and banana bread and it's a fun kind of community events where all the family kind of come together and it's true, those kind of things that I think you build a sense of community and earn people's trust. And, and quite interesting on the back of that, people will, people will bring their kids in for, for, you know, a hot chocolate and a chocolate biscuit and they'll think they're being healthier. And then little by little, they'll be eating soup and then they might be eating dinners. And then, you know, you see people shifting little by little. Uh, and one other thing, sorry, I, I'm saying lots of stuff here. Uh, one other thing we do is we swim in the sea every day at sunrise. And I remember uh, I got really into Snapchat a couple of years ago and many people think Snapchat just means naked pictures. Uh, but there's more to Snapchat than just naked pictures. Uh, and I got really interested that it was quite immediate. It was very like, we're having dinner at 12 o'clock, does anyone want to come? And someone would actually show up, it was like, wow, someone was actually watching it. There's a human there. I was amazed with it. Uh, and we'd regularly get messages from people saying, wow, I saw you swimming in the sea. It looks gorgeous. Can I come and join you? And they didn't realize it was minus one. The water was freezing and there was a wind that would have skinned you. So we, I, I kind of went, it was on a Tuesday morning. I put it up in Snapchat going, uh, we're going swimming Thursday morning. We're meeting at the shop at 5 a.m. Uh, we're going to bring porridge and tea. Uh, and that was it. And, and Siobhan, who was working with us at the time, said, lads, we put that up on other platforms and see what happens. And it was like, okay, cool. So we put up on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. And I remember I met Dave at the shop at 4 a.m. to get the porridge ready. And uh, it was like, what do you reckon? It'd be five people, maybe 10 people. So we said, ah, should we do a bigger bowl of porridge? It's only oats. So we made a big bowl of porridge and we made a cup of tea, or a few cups of tea, and, and we brought them out. And I thought there might be a few people. There was about 150 people showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We all walked down to the sea, we watched the sunrise, and we made beautiful love. <laughs> okay, that bit was a joke. <laughs> Just to see you were listening. But uh, recently we had one, <clears throat> we had one two Sundays ago, and about 700 people showed up to celebrate simple thing, the sunrise, and light minded people, free, good laugh, and we kind of gave out porridge and that. 
I had the good fortune of experiencing that. It was one of the earlier ones that you did, I think, and it was yeah, amazing how many people showed up. I think it was the first. Well, was the first? I think it was the first organized one that you did. I mean, you were doing it every day, but the first one where you kind of opened it up, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. it was unbelievable. And I will also add that um, as a result of of you guys coming and visiting us during the Ireland retreat, now like some of those retreat attendees have found themselves in Greystones and have been participating in in the swim rides. So any of you guys, uh, I'm sure these guys would welcome you to Greystones to participate in that too. You should like we get people nearly every day from different parts of the world. It's amazing. You're kind of like, wow, it's just, it's incredible. I'm often amazed with it, but it's great crack. Really, really fun. I hope I answered your question. Sorry. <laughs> Hi. Um, as you know, hi, I'm Gemma, and I'm a doctor based in the UK. Um, your energy, your zest for life, your enthusiasm, and your knowledge is just outstanding. So thank you for that today. Um, just a quick question. I've been so inspired by your Happy Heart course that you talked about. Um, and I'm just really curious about your motivation behind that, because you're both young, virile, you know, fit. And I'm assuming that you were that way as well before you decided to eat more plant-based. So what was it that led you to do your research to decide to help others in this health arena um, more than the ethical aspects and other things that you treasure? Yeah, I think, cool question. Uh, we were doing our healthy eating kind of courses or cooking demos and people would, they'd do it and they'd have a good laugh and the food was nice, but they wouldn't make any changes. Uh, so Dave kind of had the idea, I wonder, can we come up with a course where people can measure the improvement in their health? And <clears throat> And kind of, Dave kind of did a bit of research and saw heart disease was the biggest killer in the West and that it's largely a lifestyle disease and that I wonder, could we try it? Um, and do you want to tell the story? Not really. Okay. Uh, so so, so we, we, we did the course. We, we kind of, we ran our first course as an experiment. We didn't know what the hell was going to happen. We'd seen research from Dean Ornish, Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, who Caldwell has subsequently become a friend, uh, that they had kind of, proved in trials that they could reverse the indicators of cardiovascular disease. And I remember going, oh, I wonder, like, oh, you're dying to go in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that they, they had kind of done it over a year, and we kind of wondered, would it work over four weeks? And this was the first... And would it work with Irish people? And it work, would it work with Irish people? That was, that was the premise of it. And we didn't know it was going to work, and, but we were having a total punt at it, and we thought, sure, what have we got to lose? Like, four weeks, people are probably going to feel better anyway. So the first time we did it, we were to totally taking a punt at it. It was like... The whole idea was, what happens if people eat fruit and veg for four weeks? Will they be better versions of themselves? And that was the whole premise. And our skill set was that we're chefs. We know how to cook this. This is our life. We can feed you. We can put doctors on to talk about the science. And let's see what the hell happens. And I remember Angela came and measured people's blood pressure, cholesterol, and weight. First night, they came up for four weeks, and then they came back in the last night. And I remember feeling extremely nervous, because it was like everything we represented was in the line. It was like, Dave, if this doesn't work, like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I feel really afraid. Yeah, yeah, genuinely, we were really, we, we thought it was gonna negate everything if it didn't work, but it was, you know, obviously it was a huge success, and we've subsequently had thousands of people from all over the world do it, so it's, it's amazing. It's such a simple thing, but I think it's nowadays, people want someone to support them. You know, most people know what to do. You know, if I ask you, what do you do to be happier? Most people say, oh, I probably need to sleep a little more. I probably need to be less stressed. Everyone kind of knows, but it's more the support, someone to support them to do it. And I guess this course, the whole purpose is just to hold their hand and build a community of people. Like there's a community of people all over the world that now interact with one another. And we just have to go in the pot every now and again and just stir it up a little bit. But they all talk to 
one another and interact with one another and it's really well. uh, and we do charge for it like when we first did it we used to do it for free but people wouldn't do it uh, and then we found if we charged people 50 quid they still wouldn't do it they'd half do it but when you charge them 100 quid it was like feck it I paid my money I'm doing this so we found that that you needed to charge for people to value it and appreciate it and it was only when they did that they committed more to it ironically I have a question so I can't stop thinking about this idea of a health revolution, a social revolution, that has then kind of morphed into this successful entrepreneurial adventure. And just knowing you guys as I do, I'm curious: do you like do you set goals? Like, do you have do you have like what, do you have a five-year plan? Do you have an idea of like where you're taking this and and things that you haven't yet achieved that you want to realize, or are you just sort of reading the energy as it comes and like trying to make good decisions as you go and just enjoying like the moment. Yeah, uh, great question. I, I think if you looked at it retrospectively, you might think there was some mastermind plan at play here. But if you spent a day or two with us or spent a week with us, you go, oh my God, your lives are pure chaos. Yeah, that's, this <laughs> is, guys that's exactly adapted. what I'm, that's, <laughs> like, I guess we're, my so, question is a polite version of what you yeah, said. Like, yeah. like, we're master, we thrive in a chaotic environment. Like, we really do. We, we come into our own when there's like, we're not good with systems and structures and all these things. So in terms of a five-year plan, we've got a collection of ideas, but we'll typically make just about every decision from our gut. It'll be like, you know, when we talked about why we started our business, it was almost like, I feel I've got so much energy inside me or something inside me that I really need to share with as many people as I can. And that, that was the catalyst behind it all. So I think when I think of what a five-year plan might be, geez, I don't know, we started to create a happier, healthier world. So like we're really talking as big as we can create this thing, we re provided we're adding value. Like it's all based on how can we add value to people and try to you know, make the world a better the place. service part. And try to have a laugh the whole yeah. time. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's listening to this and, and they're you know, trying to start a business or they're enthusiastic about their own version of a health or social revolution and they're hard at work, you know, trying to put the pieces together to, you know, create a life, create an entrepreneurial adventure out of, you know, out of what they're passionate about, like, what's the advice that you would give to that I person? think first one is to try to do it, something they're passionate about. So I think first one, try to get help. Like find their twin, so uh, then that might sound weird, but but Clone find someone yourself. that will support them, someone that will bring something different to the table. Because there are times that are tough, and you're struggling, and like you're wondering where am I going to get the next money. But if you love it, you're going to continue it. And if you have someone that supports you, they'll prop you up when you feel crap. You hope. Uh, so I think first one is to try to get support. I, I would definitely say that uh, finding something you're really passionate about. I think the the days have shifted so much since we were in school, and we used to go to the career guidance teacher, and she'd say to oh, I think you've got the skill set to be a great engineer, or oh, you're a builder, or you're a butcher, or whatever it was. Whereas nowadays, like, you can create anything you want and, and earn a living from it. So I think it's, I think when, it, when I think of my own daughters, what I want for them is to find those things that really ignite them and make them super passionate about it, and really fuel those, and to try to find a way to turn that into make a living from that. Because I think, you know, I think that's going to be more fulfilling, and therefore, if you're more fulfilled, you'll probably inspire other people to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think finding, I, I think it's difficult for all of us because we have all these responsibilities, ideas that we need to do this, that, or the other. But I think fundamentally, if we find things that we're passionate about and really focus on them, 
I think magical things can happen. And I think last point in that is if you are starting a business, there's a fundamental responsibility to financially to be financially buoyant and congruent. So I think if you're not good at numbers, get someone on your team that's good at numbers. Because ultimately, if you exist in capitalism, you need to pay your bills. You want to be responsible. You need to make some degree of profit to continue to grow. Because uh, I speak from experience, because I wanted to start our businesses at a charity. And although I had a degree and a master's in business, I had thrown capitalism at the money. We'd go meet, or thrown at capitalism at the window, and we'd go meet our accountant at the end of the year. And she goes, you want to know how you do? I was like, no, nah, don't really care. I'm not, not into it. And at one point, uh, like we borrowed 100 grand when we first started. Uh, the investors were looking at appointing a manager, because we weren't, we weren't responsible enough. And we were so anti-making <laughs> money. And it took about 10 years to kind of really make peace with it. But I, I, I fully understand how important as a business is to be financially. And it's so basic and so fundamentally important. So I'd say to get someone that's good at figures if you're not good at it on your team. Yeah, Stephen, I think there's something in your core that, that feels guilty about making money. Like yeah. that's that's like a thing with you, right? I think you're totally honest. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that David, you don't have that as much. No, not as right. much. No, well I think yeah. like as Stephen said, we live in the world of capitalism. And if you want to change the world, capital tends to help. Mm -hmm. You know, it really does. I think you can influence more people with it's not essential. Like look, Gandhi had such an impact on the world with I don't think he had a huge right. pot of money. So but I think it, in modern day it really helps. And what is the, the biggest problem that you guys are facing right now or tackling or you know, obstacle that you're trying to overcome that you're facing? Like I, what are you working I, on? I, right I think now? because me and Steven started the business and people who come to work with us think they're gonna be working really closely with us. But where out front and they think it's gonna be handstands and swimming at sunrise and they don't realise <laughs> And they think it'll all be sunshine and lollipops, but there's like we're off front running and off doing all sorts of things and the the difficult challenging bit now is to create a culture where it really it accentuates our values and, and that kind of nature where if we want to create a happier, healthier world, we have to do it within our own business first. So I think that's that's the constant balance between finding those bits and trying to keep your team happy and content while while also not being not being ridiculous with what you're doing, you know. So that that's a really challenging kind of bit as it grows and navigating that right. path. Any questions here? Kind of along those lines, I'm curious how you continue to scale, but make time for yourself and for your family and not um, burn yourself out. Yeah, I think that's the... Uh, I think one of the things is trying to... Like, Rich is a perfectionist. We are really not perfectionists. Uh, so I think it's that 80-20 rule uh, at least suits us really well to try to do as much as you can with that 20% of time to get that 80% return. Um, and then delegating. We're really good at delegating. And not good at managing people in any shape or form, but going, like, Dad, will you run the company? Great. You know, that type of thing. And we hire a financial director. Okay, they're going to look after the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I think that, that was very important to us and something to prioritize. I try to every, if I can, if I'm at home, I try to have breakfast with my family every day, bring my kids to school, try to be home, put them to bed and try to hang out with my kids three to four hours a day, every day when I'm at home, if I can, you know, within reason. But, but I think making time for yourself is the hardest bit. Like if I was to say what Stephen's big toughest thing is, he's got like, he's, his family is so young and so demanding as well as the business that he, he never has any time for himself. So he's, you know, that's his thing, which he's constantly working on. He was like, oh, Dave, will you help me plan so I can have a little more time for himself? But it's really the morning, like whatever way our morning routine really tends to be the anchor of our day. And I think the fact that there's two of us gives such a sense of, I, I don't know, whatever way we can be, we're, we're fortunate enough in that. And for me personally, I find it's 
you know, having space and finding that balance between not burning out and not emotionally feeling drained all the time. That's the kind of constant challenge which we haven't mastered, but where um, I, I think the fact that we sleep, you know, we prioritize sleep. We go to, you know, we get up early, but we really go to bed early. Like we really do sleep well. We eat really well. You know, we're surrounded by really good people the vast majority of the time. And we do something we absolutely adore that we feel it's a real sense of mission and that kind of thing. So I think if all those things align, it tends to be a lot easier to just go full throttle and where our full throttle is pretty full on for most people, so, you know, we're really fortunate in that sense. I, I don't know if we answered the question. I can't really remember the question, but we did our best. Did, it, did we do okay? Okay, thanks. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you guys had a farm. Yeah. And my question is, does that feed into your products and your cafes? And also, where does the sustainability of the supply chain like feature into your products? Because a lot of vegan brands lead on health and happiness, and which is great. Uh, but I'm curious in like the supply chain and sort of that energy that goes into the food. Which yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't feel many brands lead with. And yeah. another question: Do you, do you have an opinion as to why is there like too many messages going on? Uh, and yeah. Let's. Okay, since the first one we have a farm and our little brother Dara started it, he kind of started as, as a little brother do, washing the pots and doing the bins, the kind of less glamorous jobs. Uh, and then he got his degree, he did a degree in environmental science and he was very upset with the lack of like produce grown in Ireland. If you look in Europe, like the, the kind of main fruit produce supplier in Europe is Holland, and the, the land mass of Holland is similar to a quarter of the land mass of Ireland. So Ireland, and, and we import pretty much all our vegetables, or the majority of our vegetables. So Dara was like adamant, I want to grow more veg. So he started with a farm. He, he Dave went over to Pockertase and he paid for mom and dad, which is kind of a health and wellness place where it's all based on trying to build up your immune system. And one of the cornerstone of it is living food. So it's foods that literally you go to eat them and they're living. So like wheatgrass and sprouts, and by that I don't mean Brussels sprouts, but like alfalfa, pea, fennel, fenugreek, radish, clover, broccoli, etc. Uh, so Dara started out growing wheatgrass at home uh, and the family would take it. And he was doing triathlons for Ireland at the time and kind of at a really high level. And he found wheatgrass, like as Richie, you know, the holy grail of athletic performance is recovery. And he found wheatgrass and sprouts really helped him recover quicker. So he started a farm growing them uh, and started just to, to deliver into the happy pair. And then before we knew it, it he was in 80 shops. And it's, uh, are we, yeah, that's, a, uh, no, sorry. Um, you want to go? No. And I was going to say, like, uh, so, so our farm currently at the moment is sprouts and wheatgrass. We're starting to grow mushrooms from coffee grinds because we're super into mushrooms at the moment. And I definitely want to try to move that more into functional mushrooms. And I know our brother has given notice and said, okay, I'm happy to work in the business for the next year or two. But then he wants to set up a community farm, which is going to be try as a role model for farming in Ireland. He wants to really focus on horticulture and look at the Dutch kind of practices and really make it a role model where kids can come, where there's an education center and, and ultimately that all that, that fruit and veg will feed into our business. So so that, that's part of the vision, but it's, it's hard to do everything. All and I love the Zach Bush podcast that you did was amazing. And I loved his, his final words. What would you do if you were Surgeon General of the States? And he said he'd set up that everyone has to do a year farming as an organic farmer. So I think Dara's goal is to set up a farm whereby people come through it a lot and you kind of remind people of the importance of soil and where your food comes from. So yeah, it's on the pipeline and we're not perfect, but we're doing our best. Um, guys, I think like health and wellness is, is such a big part of what you do. And health and wellness is also such a massive contributor to, to mental health. And for, for entrepreneurs or business people who are 
trying to build or try to grow or step outside their comfort zone, the biggest thing that they face is, is fear, you know, and, and how fear impacts them, how it debilitates them. And given the positivity that you have, the creativity that you have, you know, what is your flavor of fear? And when it comes, what do you do to deal with it? I know I'm scared of snakes. He has <laughs> <laughs> no snakes in Ireland, so I'm quite good. But um, other than that, like, I think... I guess in business we're very fortunate that like, oh fuck it, if the whole thing closes and we've got to shut up, sure, whatever, we'll find a new game to play, like, you know, so, so I think having that approach you can't really lose in a sense, you know, that, and not to be flippant about it, but like there's not a huge amount of fear in our lives, you know, like if I think of everything got washed away and whatever, as long as Steve was there, it'd be grand, we'd just, oh, should we go find something to do, we can skip around, you know, so, so, so I, I don't know how that applies to anyone else, like, but, I don't know, what do you think, Steve? Uh, yeah, probably second that. I think fear is a good thing, but I guess we're fortunate that we kind of don't give into it, or like we'll experience like a little bit of anxiety, maybe, or a little bit of what's that word before you do a talk? Anticipation. Anticipation or excitement or nervousness before you do a talk. But I think that's good because you don't take it for granted, you know, that way. So I think fear is good, but we kind of, I guess because we're fortunate, there's two of us and our attachment to things is quite low. I always like Bruce Springsteen or someone's kind of uh, story about that where they said that, you know, there was someone, some guy going to do a talk and he said, oh my God, I, I feel so bad. Like my, my heart rate increases and like I feel so much tension and I feel so stressed. And this was his idea of what stress was. And then they were talking to Bruce Springsteen and they said, how do you feel before you do a talk and he says oh my heart rate increases I feel like stress and tension but it's like excitement it makes me feel so good so I think it's like how you look at different things and I think they can really reframe things in a sense and I, I don't know I don't know how the hell we do it we're quite simple creatures I, I remember sitting in a talk with the guy who was the big wave surfer he was uh, remember your man yeah, he, was he was like one of the big wave surfers in the world and he was asked to do a talk on fear and it was very interesting to see his approach to, that there wasn't any rocket science to it he was like yeah no I, I you know he, he, tried, he tried to keep his breath he tried to regulate his breath which is mindfulness which is something dear to your heart so he he was very aware of his breath that as he became fearful his breathing became a lot more shallower so he tried to breathe deep and calm and he found that to be very beneficial. What do you reckon, Rich? Well, I had a different question I wanted to ask you guys. Okay. So, so uh, people ask me all the time, like, what advice would I give to my younger self or to younger people? And I, usually, I generally say something along the lines of live lean and invest in adventure and experience. And in our culture, we're sort of encouraged to, you know, go to school, study hard, and then go right into the workforce. And you're supposed to, you know, know exactly what you want to do and be by the time you're 19 or 21. Uh, and in my experience, that leads to a lot of unhappiness in a lot of people. It certainly did in myself. And you guys made this choice to invest in adventure and experience. And you went, I don't know how many years, you, you guys like went on this walkabout where you had all these crazy experiences and, and really had the courage to go experiment and live in different communities and try different things. And I can't help but think that that was a core, like, informative principle that allows you to do what you do now. So that when you concluded that chapter, you had some clarity about what was important to you, that you had had some experiences that kind of informed you about what was important to you in your life and what you wanted to express. So what do you, how do you think about um, adventure and travel and, you know, those experiences that you had in relation to... Um, what you do today. Yeah. 
I, I think if I was to give advice to myself, to my 19-year-old self, I would say don't bother going, like from my own perspective, I'm not using this as, a, as for anyone else, but I'm just saying that I would say don't bother going to university or college because in my own experience I found it to be just more the same. It was more in the treadmill and what I should be doing and where I should be going and I need a job and I need to quick and hurry up and be making money to buy a house to get married and, and I think I would encourage my younger self if I go back, I'd say just go wander around the world. Go get lost for a little bit and start looking under different rocks and go experience life because I found, in my own experience, I found it opened me up to so many different things and number one, I got to find out what, what I was interested in and what who the hell I was independent of my family and my own society and my own community. So I, I think travel, it's such an incredible way of questioning your own preconceptions and your own ideals. So. And travel doesn't necessarily mean going to different countries. It could simply mean traveling inside yourself to different aspects of your own mind through meditation or whatever it might be, or to travel to do different, meeting people in your own town that speak different languages, whatever it is to, to take yourself to outside of yourself so you can question your own conditioning and find out what you're really interested in. So I, I would be more brazen to go, keep trusting yourself, don't listen to what anyone else says, go out and find what you're into and keep doing more of it. Follow your Nose, trust your nose, you know what's right to make yourself happy and stop doubting yourself. Yeah, uh, and, and to go back to your, your, your question of what advice would I give to myself? Like we're pretty brazen and fearless in a lot of sense, but if I was back I'd say, don't fear a thing. Like I would, I would have gone way harder in terms of like looking under more rocks and investigating different things and really getting a full sense of experience because I think, you know, fear holds us back in so many different ways and it's only looking back retrospectively that you'd go, I'd go much harder and I, I really would be far less afraid of things that when I look, you know, to other people I don't seem like I'm afraid but each of us are fighting our own little battles inside of ourselves each day. Yeah. Hi, I was just going to say, so it sounds like the two of you have had a really amazing journey together. What, do you, what would you say you're most proud of out of everything you've done over these last 14 years? What would you say you're most proud of? The sense of community. The sense of belonging, like I, the thing which make, gives me most meaning in my life is walking down the town where we live and saying hello to people. Like, like honestly, if I was to pick my perfect day, I'd be walking around by the sea saying, ah, how are you? Wagging my tail like a dog. Like that's the most, like that sense of community. Like wagging my tail, how are you? Oh, how's it going? You know, having the chats. And then I'd come back to the shop and I'd stand out the front chatting to people, sharing fruit. And, oh, did you taste this? Did you taste that? And I think that sense of community makes me feel as good as I could ever feel, I think. You know? Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Thank you. I'll second that one, yeah. Good work. Well, good. We gotta we gotta park this happy pair bus. But I think a good way to kind of wrap this up and, and close it down um, is with a little uh, a little primer on your principles for happiness that we were talking about earlier. Okay, great. Out on the patio. I think first one: try to eat more whole foods. Most people don't eat enough fiber, and fiber is really important for three functions in our body. You can ever remember? First one: elimination. Elimination. Woo! Point number two. Weight loss, weight loss. So fiber would really help with weight loss. Point number three was? Microbiome. 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 So it's known as a prebiotic. So I think to try to eat more whole food. So it's not necessarily being a, a veggie or a vegan. It's literally making small changes. So it's maybe eating oatmeal occasionally to try to choose 
brown bread instead of white bread, wholemeal pasta instead of white pasta, just little shifts. Even try eating an apple once. And if you hate apples, try fancy fruit. Like right now we're in Italy, I saw cherries down in the larder. Oh my God, you know, try different fruit that's in season because it's so sweet and wonderful. Beautiful, thanks for that. Uh, point number two on, on our five tips for happiness, I would say is movement. You know, as mammals, we all need to move. We forget about it because society is set up where we, we get up, we turn on a light switch, we, we heat our breakfast, we get in the car, we sit at the computer and it's set up for us to be sedentary. It's set up for our own convenience. But I think if you look at all the blue zones and Dan Butner's work, it's people that live a life of inconvenience. They're the ones that live the longest. They're the ones that are healthier and happier for longer. So I think it's almost, it's this kind of consistent movement throughout the day as opposed to this, oh, I work and I sit at my desk and then I go sweat for an hour in the gym and I take my Instagram photo. Where it's, uh, like, I think it's consistently building it into your day. Is, and, and cycling, like, as taking up means of transport that are less in your car. Even simple things, a friend, Tony Riddle, who's a super cool dude, he, he's no furniture in his house and he's all about squatting. We should be sitting like this, whereas this is a yoga pose. I'm doing yoga now. Whereas originally this, uh, right now I'm squatting, but, but this is, was originally a rest pose. So I think it's to try to incorporate as much as you can. And I think on that movement one, I think the most basic simple thing is to start counting 10,000 steps a day. Really basic simple thing and set up an alarm that if you haven't moved in an hour, get up and walk. Spend five minutes walking. Like it's, like it's basic simple things throughout the day. And if you, if you have a desk job which doesn't incorporate movement, try to drink lots of water because it means you've got to go up and go to the toilet a lot. And then you're going to be rehydrated and you've got to move. <laughs> and if you're going to go to the toilet, try to go to the one that's further away. So it means you get more steps and in. take the stairs. Yeah. Yes, it's all habits. And point number three, I would sense community. Find a sense of belonging, a type of people or a tribe that you feel a kinship in, where you feel you can be your authentic self, where you don't feel like you're putting on a show. And I think that's, I think that's been the richest thing for us, the sense of community and the sense of belonging. And if I could, I think, as, a, as, as Stephen often says, he says, we all know that granny, that 97-year-old lady that drank a bottle of whiskey and smoked 50 fags, and she didn't eat healthy, but she surrounded herself with people where she felt at home with, she probably laughed a lot, and she probably had very little stress in her life. So I think the sense of community is so fundamental to us as humans, as social creatures. It's a vital nutrient yeah. that's often forgot about. I think point number four is to try to be more authentic in modern society it espouses you've got to be positive and happy all the time uh, and emotions are good or bad uh, whereas in reality all emotions are good and we have a full array of emotions and we need to express them all like in Ireland and England you're asked every day how's it going and pretty much everyone says good or fine or tired that's about the extent of it whereas we have a greater range of emotions and if we don't express them they tend to grow and they tend to come out expressed in different ways that mightn't be quite as as well so I think we got it uh, or I try to at least myself is to try to be more honest with how I feel instead of being Mr. Happy Clappy Mr. Happy Pearman occasionally going I feel stressed I feel confused I don't or know repressed. what I'm feeling. yeah repressed or whatever it is to try to actually name an emotion which is quite hard for me uh, coming from the, my condition you're Irish yeah, yeah 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 exactly <laughs> uh, but, but in doing so we give other people permission to so I think it's to be more authentic with how we feel not be a smiley happy clappy hey how are you and in reality you feel lost confused and in despair I think it's to be honest and go I feel lost dispute or confused and in despair because you're showing your vulnerability and vulnerability and uh, as many people say is, is real strength and honesty and I think love is honest so fundamentally if you're being more honest you're being more loving yeah it's scary it's scary for a lot of yeah. people now. and I think our last point is really love it's about feeling you know 
touch and feel and connection and all those basic simple things. So it sounds very twee loved, doesn't it? Yeah, and they're not taking things serious, having a laugh, we're all gonna die, do our best, not being black and white, it has to I'm a, I'm a vegan. It's it's to try to do your best, you're gonna die, have a laugh, enjoy it, let's spread a bit more joy and let's have a good life together. Well said, boys. Much love, my friends. <laughs> Stephen and David Flynn, the happy pair. Let's hear it for these guys. Thank you. Beautiful. You guys are a gift to humanity. I love you both dearly, and I really appreciate you guys making the time to come down and, and spend time with us. It's been amazing. So Thank you. It's thank been, you for that. From us, it's been an absolute honor, and we're... Just delighted to be here. So yeah, thank so you. the three cookbooks, pick them up. Uh, the newest cookbook, can you get it in the US? Uh, I think Amazon or the book depository ship all around the world, so right, as cool. far as I know. In Canada? In Canada? Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Yes, I think all the, all the online places are doing it, so. Right, yeah. so I'll put links in the show notes to all of that. Everybody should pick it up. If you find yourself in Greystones or Dublin, drop in. Yeah, come boys. join us They're for a You guys are easy to find <laughs> unless you're traveling. Yeah, yeah. And uh, jump on the Irish Sea, right? Yeah. Cool, thanks you guys. You wanna, end, you wanna take us out? Can I say peace and plants? Yeah, do it. Okay. Three, two, one. Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Right, here we go, okay. Three, two, one. Oh no, you say it's slower. <laughs> Think of rich, not you. Like, okay, can we do it together? Can the three go for it? Take okay. two. Take okay, take two. Forget that one. Okay, three, two, one. Peace and, and plants. plants. You say nice. sexy. Yeah. All right. All right, I hope you guys dug that. What's not to love about those boys? Uh, let the lads know what you thought of today's conversation. Hit them up on any social media platform, at The Happy Pair, basically everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, and the like. Pick up their new book if you're in the UK, The Happy Pair, Recipes for Happiness. If you're in the US, pick up one of our books, The Plant Power Way, The Plant Power Way, Italia, This Cheese is Nuts, or my memoir, Finding Ultra. And if you're looking for additional nutritional guidance beyond just a cookbook or inspirational stories like the happy pair you might want to check out our meal planner go to meals.richroll.com when you sign up you get access to thousands of plant-based recipes totally customized based on your personal preferences and needs it's really an amazing program it helps you generate unlimited grocery lists we even have grocery delivery in most u.s cities international delivery in certain cities rolling out soon we have incredible customer service seven days a week people who really know what they're talking about available to you to answer any of your questions and all of this is available for just a dollar 90 a week when you sign up for a year i think that's what i'm most proud of to offer such a robust and helpful program at a really affordable price point uh, for more to learn more and to sign up go to meals.richroll.com or click on meal planner on the top menu at richroll.com we just passed our one-year anniversary mark on this uh on this offering and over the last 12 months we served over 250,000 plant-based meals super proud of that people are really enjoying it the feedback and the reviews are amazing so have a look. And if you would like to support my work, please subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or on whatever platform you enjoy this content. It really helps us out with the show's visibility. And just share it with your friends and on social media. Grab their phones, subscribe them to the podcast. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music. I want to thank Tyler Pyatt 
my son, for helping out with the audio on this particular episode back in Italy. Uh, Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for their help with the graphics on this edition. We did not video it. And theme music, as always, by Analemma. So thanks for the love, you guys. See you back here in a couple days with Brian Rose, the host of London Real, for another great conversation. Until then, eat well, move more, love more broadly, serve your community, and be happy. Peace. Bye.